Today with Lisa Freeman. You want to introduce yourself? My name is Lisa Freeman. I'm a black urban farmer and I have a unique type of farm located in Manchester, which is central to half million dollar homes and subsidized housing. So I play a unique role in our community in meeting the health needs of a very diverse community. You do, and you do a great job of it. You are also an author. Is your book out yet? I am an author and they're trying out. to contact me and I keep like putting them on hold because my story is so unique and um, the name of the book is We Don't Wanna Beep you can on say Our it. Street. We don't want a fucking farm on our street. Thank you. That's better. And it tells the story of how a prominent leader in my community made the decision. She made the decision to tell me what she didn't want on our street. And I'm a homeowner and a landowner and a business owner on that street. And my response was, I didn't ask you what the fuck you wanted. And so from there, it was it created a hardship and some political blocks, some political snubs, some political shenanigans, and I gotta love the shenanigans. Gotta love them. And <laughs> some barriers that were kind of hard to surpass. But then, with the aid of a new mayor who saw the need, um, the political climate changed. And uh, our farm, it had to go through a lot of challenges, city planning, uh, a lot of challenges. And we went into the gate, the deepest throes of hell itself. <laughs> and uh, called city. It's yeah, zoning. Yeah, called zoning, <laughs> and we we reemerged as victors, and um, I am very happy with that. And uh, we've begun begun the process of building, and it's bringing a renewed hope in the urban center where it was once minority black people, a community of minority black people, who had been redlined. Uh, meaning that they couldn't own homes in certain areas, banks wouldn't let, would not lend to them. And so they were like cattle that was corralled in certain areas with substandard housing. They just weren't able to be homeowners. And then to add fuel to the fire, there was a national bridge building campaign in the nation. And then they came in and tore up and divided majority of African-American communities and tore down the African-American businesses. Well, all businesses, black, white, Asian, all businesses. They tore down our commercial quarter and left us kind of homeless, restricted and denied. And um, an area of supreme disinvestment and we were cast aside. That was right after the civil rights until probably the net today. We we still don't have a commercial district. We don't have restaurants. We do not have a coffee house. Talking about Manchester. Talking Manchester about Manchester. Pittsburgh. Yep. But it's an up and coming neighborhood and now we're faced with gentrification. And me myself, I'm a black gentrifier. Most people can't digest that fact, but I am not born and bred in Manchester. And I bought a home and I bought a condemned home and I brought it back to life. 
but I'm invested in my community. I go out my front door, I greet my neighbors, I know their names, I'm invested with the local public school. Anything that's happening in my community, I'm very well aware of and involved. Where, you know, there's different levels of gentrification and generally, most people think it's a bad thing, but there's different levels. And well, that... that's the really good point. Can we define your definition of gentrification? Well, I think mostly it's like I, the way I think about it uh, is that people are being like the people who live there are eventually going to be priced out of the neighborhood. But it seems like you calling yourself a gentrifier really, you know, I wouldn't do that because it, I, I think you're invest like you're saying you're investing in the community and in your community, your fellow community members. Most people think gentrification is a, a loaded word. It's a triggered word. And gentrification is often used as a weapon against white people. And in most... Oh, the word. Yeah, yeah the word. Out there, yep. But there are a lot of benefits, definitely a lot of benefits, but to the detriment sometimes of black people. So black people who were redlined and then the bridges came through and destroyed the buildings and black people weren't able to own homes or get a mortgage in these communities. They had to suffer with crime and drugs and shooting and violence, and they suffered through all of that. And now these communities have become prime communities and people from the suburbs want to come in so they can be close to the cultural center down through all the amenities with the sports stadium. It is, it's like, you know, five minute bike ride in right. town. So we have a huge influx of people now who's noticing Manchester, as well as people who are forecasting on that development of the Esplanade, uh, that high mixed, I don't know how to describe it. I describe it as the Ferris wheel fantasy and their man-made Blue Lagoon, which is another tourist trap. It's kind of like an extension. I, I view it as an extension of the uh, casino. Yeah. It's gonna be like, other things that go along with people that like things like right. tacky things like casinos right, right. <laughs> or people who have money touristy bringing in you know people that i i wouldn't want to hang out with necessarily yeah whatever. i mean you know that that if you have money to spend but unfortunately they came in with this guys that we're going to help manchester mm -hmm. and they were only interested in my opinion with manchester's low income designation they were interested in in achieving those extra tax perks, those extra write-offs, those extra benefits of associating itself with a low-income neighborhood. And all this development they're building has no, they have no interest of the Manchester itself. Yeah, uh, it's perhaps not, residents know. aren't going to be able to go there. No. I mean, they won't, won't want to go there. They no. won't afford to and go probably there. Probably not allowed. It's probably going to be a gated community with high scale condominiums with designer businesses. And, you know, it blocks, there's no agreement, no community benefit agreement, nothing. No mandatory employment for minorities or businesses. Absolutely nothing. And then my problem was, well, you know, it, to appease these little people in Manchester, they've gone without a grocery store. So we'll just put a Trader Joe's in. And that left me highly indignant. Like, I've been serving the community for a long time, for almost 10 years, and I would grow it and I'd give it away. I was just not interested. I just, as a social worker, I wanted to give life to a dying plant and watch it come grow every year. 
and bloom into something that was valuable and then show the children from a low-income community who had no skills and who were aggressive because of the lives that they had to live to teach these children how to nurture something that was bigger than themselves they had no control over a plant that lives or dies except for the input they gave it they could control with giving it enough of water, enough of fertilizer, they could sit there and watch it grow. There's no contest, there's no competition. Encourage healthy eating. So this is this is a really good point because you kind of, you jumped from, you're a gentrifier and all this development and then back I'm a community to, builder. Yeah. That's but, what but I But I want to talk about oh. that time when you were when you were doing that gr growing. So like nobody else knows what you're talking about in that situation. So let's let's talk about that. The garden. So you moved to the north side and you started a garden, yeah. So I moved to the north side and I started a community school garden in a partnership with the poorest school in the Pittsburgh Public School District, and that was Manchester Elementary. And our children, they were minority. It was a minority strong school, which meaning most of the kids lived in high-rise projects and they had to learn how to survive. They were witnesses of domestic violence and drug abuse and shooting and violence. And when they come to school, you know, that's how they re respond. You know, they grow up in trauma, they're gonna act in trauma. That's just their way of all they know. And so we, we use that community garden to soften their approach, to learn how to work as a team, to learn how to nurture something, to learn how to build pride and their particular plant or their particular classroom plot, and it worked. And um, that spilled over to the community where they saw me as this Jamaican woman with the dreadlocks and- uh, Are you Jamaican? No, I'm not Jamaican. <laughs> but they saw me come and go and the voodoo woman, some of them call me the voodoo woman because they saw me out there all the time. And then they realize, you know, she's with here. The plants, plants are voodoo. That's the no, it's just me they... with the Jamaican. Oh gosh, you know. <laughs> okay. And they knew I wasn't originally from the community, so they didn't really know my take. Gotcha. Um, but then they realized I was invested, and I'm working with the kids. So they gave me space, and ultimately they became our garden stewards. They championed and protected that that space, and then to my heart's you know that's one of the greatest things I did I went over the drug dealers and they became my waterer like you're not doing anything come and water these plants <laughs> and like and they call me Miss Lisa someone got Miss what's what Miss Edmonds baby watermelon someone took it out the garden and they became the protector of the children's space and Aww. then the drug chain moved because Miss Lisa, the Jamaican woman, the voodoo lady, she's over there. She don't want to hear all that bam, bam, bam. And all that weed smoking, drug dealing, loud music, you know, things that we consider like, thump, you know. Thump, yeah. Thump, thump. That uh, gets right to your core. Yeah, it does. You know, that is really... Mm. But they respected me enough to like, you know, this is her thing and she's old enough to be our mother. We're going to respect her because she's doing something. And That's nice. she sees us and she's acknowledging that we have a place in this community. And I felt that was important mm -hmm. because these kids that walk around- That's a hard around, place to get to though. Yeah. These kids walking around with hoodies, they do that because they don't want to be seen, because we don't look in their face, because we don't acknowledge them. We don't say hello. They're just giving a signal like their problems to the community. But, you know, I brought them, I pulled them into our community 
and in return they respected me they mm-hmm. acknowledged me yeah. I acknowledged them and so it started that way and uh, it just grew and grew and grew and that was one of the best one of the best opportunities yeah that's awesome yeah so then that kind of turned into you bought some land well I got mad. I, we did that for five years, and we grew that as a non 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 profit. <laughs> <laughs> My child, I've never heard of that distinction. Yeah, we did it as PTO presidents. My husband and I. We were the only two members, by the way. My husband and I. Um, no one else really wanted to be involved or invested. And then my child was no longer in that school. I'm like, well, like, okay, we're still attached to the school. We were a PTA. And um, that was our community-based project. My husband had a math, a school-based project called Math Doctors, where he went into the school and taught the kids how to do math. And um, after five years, we, we partnered with local nonprofits and service agents, and they would come in, they'd had a certain day, and they would come in and they'd offer their services. So we were like five days in operation. We just took turns and rotated where the kids, they had something to do. And they had substantial learning opportunities, being involved and being challenged with something that was new, entirely new to them. They were being nurtured and driven to come out of their comfort zone. But I, after five years, something made me mad uh, where people were coming to take and would take the plants, which was all right, but they didn't acknowledge that this is the schools. We are doing this for a reason for the kids to come back after. They would plant in May, take the summer off, and oh, then yeah. they'd come back and see the handiwork of all their work, and everything was gone. Because people born to the neighborhood were like, oh, all those beautiful herbs, I know, go right here. And newcomers, the gentrifiers, would come, and I was there the one day and saw them close hand. We had a team from Uni- University Pitt we were starting to put the bed to rest, meaning that we were cleaning it up and taking all the debris and scraps and uh, bagging that up. And a lady with the biggest dog came over and said, you know what, mine is, she was not talking to me, the black urban farmer, she was talking to one of the pit students. And she said, you know, my neighbor said they have the best rosemary here and that makes the best rosemary chicken. She's talking to one of the pit students, a female white pit students, as her big dog, whatever kind of dog it was, it was a huge dog, lifted its leg and peed in the bag. On the vegetables. On the vegetables. <laughs> I was livid. I'm like, that's a gentrifier who doesn't know anything about their community, didn't know where she was going and why this was so important to the community, did not ask. Her neighbor brought her, another clueless person, said, oh, go over there, it's free, who didn't have the true information, came, and what's a good word for the dog peeing in the bed? Violated our <laughs> space, um, disrespected the space of the children and thought she was obligated to come and take. And I asked her, did you plant anything here? Did you do any kind of pruning? Did you ever cut the grass? Did you water anything here? So what gives you the right to come and just take? Well, I didn't know. Well, that's the problem. And that's one of the stages of a gentrifier who comes into a community and feels entitled that this is a public good and not scope out the landscape and know the values of the community. Buying a house and a residence does not give you carte blanche to just come in and do as you want because that kind of homeowner is definitely not invested in their community. Yeah. They're invested in their real estate yeah, investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're invested in their rung on the ladder. Right. And so they're interested in whatever goes and 
inside their front and back door. Their resale value. But not in the community. Yeah. And not in forming relationships. Their relationships come to them for wherever they're coming from. They often don't uh, encourage building relationships with their neighbors or even knowing the neighbors' names. Yeah. So that's what we think of when you think of a gentrifier. Right. But not everybody coming in is on that level. There's yeah. different scales. Yeah. Good. So you had this garden. I left. And then you left. Called it quits. And then my CDC said, oh, don't leave. Because it was beautiful. And it, we had developed a documentary. We had really? developed a relationship with Heinz Endowments and the Bill and Melinda Gates Thanks. Foundation. Wow. We had developed a relationship with Pittsburgh Public Schools. And they would meet with us. That's how important it was, our voices to them. And um, they, everybody was kind of aware of it. Like, oh, okay, well, I'm sorry this happened. We'll give you another please, a plot over there and there's a fence. And that was all a guise and a, a ruse to get us to go on property and build up again, which we did and developed another beautiful, most people thought it was an art exhibit because mm. of the types of beds that we used. I quickly learned that this was a ploy <laughs> to get my attention and that the intentions of the CDC was not pure. Um, and they were gonna sell me this property and this whole entire property is yours and that wasn't the case and never they never had intentions of selling me the property and i knew it was vacant and it had a beautiful fence where i can control who came and gone uh-huh and that was the issue it would stop people from just picking at random although we had a shelf on the outside of the door we would put all we would put all our produce out there people would knew they could come and take so it wasn't like it was prohibited we just didn't want people ruining the plant right so people still got the benefit of what we were growing for free um you just didn't want them like grabbing a tomato and then ripping from off the, the roots. plant accidentally because yeah. people don't know how to right. pick right. stuff yeah but when they wanted something like oh like still you should have observed that this is for the children but we didn't we found that food insecurity was prime with our senior citizens and they'd be out there all morning taking what they needed and that was fine and we developed a relationship with an intergenerational and we learned all kind of things like how to cook okra how miss edmonds is the centurion so much knowledge yeah. there yeah definitely it was beautiful so we moved and then i bought some property from the city it was a huge warehouse that was condemned and i bought it and people couldn't believe that i bought it it sat and sat and so yeah, why did why did you buy a building i bought the building <laughs> With the original Sorry. intent, my son is on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. And that time, at that time, he was about 12 or 13. And the walls of this building, they were so unique and beautiful. But the roof had caved in, or well, several of the roofs had came in. And I'm like, oh, but the walls. Like, I wanted the children of Manchester and my son to have an outdoor safe play space. Because children who are disabled or considered special needs they don't have any place to play mm. that's safe and confined and where they can be themselves so i bought it for that reason but then it was so far gone that i had to end up tearing it down and we continued with our garden theme and uh we built that up so the demolition of a site is pretty expensive it was very expensive it's ten thousand over 10,000 square feet and it, the building took up or the entire over 10,000 square feet 
And as a social worker, oh, did I say that? I'm a badass social worker. And people invite me to be sitting here and learn about this program, sit on this board. And um, I had researched it. And I thought, well, every nonprofit has a community component where they have to serve the community in some way. And I don't know how my brilliant mind started this one, but I thought about Job Corps. And then I had a relationship with Job Corps. Job Corps is a federal program that they offer job skills mm -hmm. free of charge for youth, I think up to 21. And I thought, well, they have a community component where they're challenged to give back community services. I oh, they have a heavy, med a heavy machinery <laughs> component training. I'm like, I wonder if I could get them to come out. And just like run it into this building a couple times. And that's what happened. <laughs> they had a, and they said, wow, are you kidding? I'm like, no. And they're like, yeah, heck yeah, we'll come. <laughs> they like, love the destruction. Yeah. yeah, do you know that, that students learned on a computer using a joystick? Oh that was that was how they would wow. manipulate the controls in like a dumpster or I don't know whatever the heck and like oh like we get real life and they brought it down and those students had a ball Little like bulldozers and yeah. stuff yeah they had the full experience of being in a live construction site and they had a female there and she was badass and I'm like look cool. and it was it was a win-win and they loved it and we take that too and then that got them with the department of transportation PennDOT. that got them a significant award the show that they did community. oh wow who did the who did the show is it a production company oh, renee rosenstill oh, she wow. did a taping of it and then i sent it to them they told me that they were having but i was doing it anyway just to say thank you to them but then these federal partners, sponsors of Job Corps, they said, oh, they're coming in. I'm like, I'm gonna show my tape that day. And I did show it. And it was a really, really, really nice tape. And um, they got significant funding. So they added, I think, two different class, two additional classes. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Very cool. Well, now you and I met, you never were uh, like a participant of the Adopt-A-Lot program, but we met through my work at the city. And, you know, I've seen- It was supposed to be through the Adopt-A-Lot. Yeah. Yeah. But the, I think it wasn't yet set up right or... It didn't transition. I don't know what the it was, real... It was, yeah. Maybe it wasn't city land or... There was something weird yeah, about the situation, yeah. was it? But we met. It was early days in the Adopt-A-Lot. But anyway, yeah, we met and I've watched you sort of go from... You know, someone who wants to do a project to someone who's doing all kinds of stuff. And then I remember when uh, Farm Aid came to town. What was that, 2018? 19. 2019. Was it 2019? Gosh, that was a really busy year, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. And then 2020 was like a nothing year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, when Farm Aid came to town, though, I remember when they started, like, they engaged you in that, that whole thing. And... I think that's the first time you were like, wait, I'm a farmer. I don't know how, and I it, I didn't know for a long time, like how did Willie Nelson, how did he find me? How does he even know? And um, I was invited to participate in Farm Aid and be on a panel nonetheless and talking about urban farmers. Like what? I felt like a rock star. And I told my cousins, I'm gonna be over at Farm Aid with, you know, that guy, Willie Nelson? Like, I really didn't know the Normandy. <laughs> and they said to me, what? 
You mean marijuana man? <laughs> I'm like, is that what he is? Like, yeah, I'm gonna be with him. And I <laughs> felt like true. a star. And he baptized me that day as an urban farmer. I like righteous. Like what? And um, that was one of the highlights of my career. It was one of the highlights, one of the great highlights of my life. And I feel like that confidence. I mean, you 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 are a very confident woman, but I feel like that has sort of like trajected you into like urban ag so now talk about like what what you're doing now and you just got back from was it harrisburg or i just came back from harrisburg well i've been to dc but one thing i just want to go back to and you were talking about willie nelson and the great push and the inspiration besides willie nelson which was a highlight of my life i have to not i always have to remember my husband wallace sapp Wallace yes. Sapp was my husband, was my partner, who I loved dearly, who took care of that school and community garden. He was an elderly Vietnam <laughs> He was 10 years older than me. And you're like, yes, Lisa, yes, Lisa, yes, I'll go out there. And he would cut that grass at like 5 o'clock in the morning because it was so hot. Yeah. And that garden was like glorious. It was like the Garden of Eden. Everybody, like it could, everybody else's grass could be like straw. But everything was growing and vibrant in our our section of the kids' world. And it was because of his dedication, like, I gotta go cut this grass, I gotta go cut this grass. When we left, everybody thought it was so easy because they never saw us laboring. My <laughs> yep. husband was out there five o'clock in the morning and I had these groups that would come and help me. So they never saw that part. All they saw that was just vibrant and rich, just like the Garden of Eden. And um, it was beautiful. And then a few years ago, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. It was already terminal. And uh, at our farm, after we tore down the building, right in through there, I also was unemployed. And uh, in order to sustain this, I had to be employed. And I went to uh, Bidwell Culinary School and I became a chef. And I began to learn about all these herbs and fresh vegetables, produce that I was giving away. Like, well, I never, cause I'm black. We don't deal with herbs and we don't cook. I'm like, I'm fast food. I'm like, give me a restaurant, let me order. That's as much as I want to do. Well, I actually learned how to cook. And um, everybody was like, oh man, this is so good. And Wallace was really amazed because he's from the South and his mother used to cook. And when he got that diagnosis with cancer, um, it was devastating, and uh, I was at that point where, like, honey, should I just go to school, or should I need to stay home and take care? You're know, like, no, just go to school, and I'll be all right. Which is just steps less than a thousand yards from our home, back and forth. And I went through the course, and then I began to cook right up from the garden. And Wallace was not really unhealthy; he was very still vibrant, but he stayed in the garden. He looked at, you know, his friends, came to visit. He listened to the birds. He sat out in his sun. And I started cooking clean, meaning no fried foods. I'm eating, I'm cooking fresh mm-hmm. and uh, broiled chicken or baked chicken, but fresh vegetables and herbs, no salt, and all the spices. I, I added a whole lot of love in this because I'm like, oh, let me cook. And uh, it added a number of years to his life and his quality of life. We, the, the cancer was gone for a period of time. He went into remission. Oh, wow. And we actually thought he was cured. And his top doctors thought he was cured. Like, man, what happened? 
And he would tell all of them at the VA, my look, my wife is cooking for me. Don't I look any gain weight? Don't I like good hair? <laughs> and then a little small dot came back, a very small microscopic dot uh, that grew. And then that terminal uh, diagnosis reignited. But he was still eating clean and in the garden. And instead of a death date of six months, like he had a date. Jeez. Six months turned into five years. So we wow. had five years to spend a good quality life together with no real pain or suffering. Mm. But his last two weeks, it went oh, so hard. It went so fast, it was amazing. But he never suffered. He never was in pain. He never was sick or ill. And it was all due to him eating clean and that's eating fresh. Great. And that's what like changed my life. Like I have such a dominant trait in my family of cancer. And I've, I've walked through three or four end of life experiences. And cancer is real. And for people who are afflicted with any kind of disease, cancer is real. And it destroys your family. Yeah. And you think all those numbers of years, my mother, I went without a mother ever. 16 years old, that robbed me. It robbed me of a grandmother. My children don't have a grandmother, a great-grandmother. It robbed them. It robbed us of a lot of time with close relatives. And I just want to be in the garden so I can help our community eat better and live longer. So was was Wallace around to see Willie Nelson call you a farmer? He dropped me off. <laughs> he didn't stay because it was when way you, out in the sticks. When you got home, he was cheering for you. Oh, yeah. He, he was, oh, that's good. He was amazed. We did a few good, amazing, unbelievable things while we were together. Um, and now, fast forward, we're here in a... I don't want to go too fast forward. We're here and we're building a store. We've gotten major grant. That's not, it's not that many years though. We're talking like 2018, 19, 20, you know, pandemic. Yeah, he died in 2021, 2021, he died. And uh, I went through, I won't say, well, it was a shock to my system. And I just didn't want to be around people. I didn't want to plan. I didn't want to do anything. I had to go through this valley. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. And I had to kind of regroup and think, what am I doing? And I took this time. I got a grant through the Samson Foundation to give me, like, a sabbatical. As a farmer, I wrote a sabbatical. Like, who does that before? And they actually believed it. I'm like, okay, we'll give you a grant to give you, like, a time to, like, get your finances, your business together. And, you know, you're developing this and this and this. We'll, get, we'll pay you to kind of, like, subside for a year and that's what I did and I spent that whole year writing grants and that whole year it was amazing I think I might have wrote five grant five or six grants I was awarded five of those there oh my was god one. yeah every single one yeah and so I raised over three hundred thousand dollars and I'm like whoa it's there champion and one the biggest one the major one was from USDA and that was for $175,000 to build a, a grocery store in our food desert community. And yes. my application wrote, I expressed my indignation of a huge multi-million dollar developer coming in and doing this giant tourist trap 
when I'm right here and they're just going to throw us uh, Trader Joe's. And yeah. I've been here all along. And they heard that. I'm like, you know, she has a track record. She possibly could do it. We believe she can do it here. That's awesome. And now they're building. And I'm overwhelmed every day. It's unbelievable. And that's the really exciting thing to see. It's the speed at which that building is going up and the reality like once you got through the painful what did you call it um purgatory purgatory of zoning you came out the other end and went bam like put it up take that yeah what's next what's coming up here well we're in the process of building it and um i have to tell you about the process of building it so we've come full circle and that was a beautiful moment from when i was a school community voodoo lady jamaican woman I worked with a lot of other students in our SIS program, and that's community intensive support program with youth, primarily young men, who've had some kind of juvenile court experience. And they often walk around with ankle bracelets. And my friends who were drug dealers at the farm who became my friends and stewards over the garden. And unbeknown to me, it was never revealed. They were just people who were helping me. We're neighbors. We live in Manchester. Fast forward, when we broke ground, there is, uh, I have an Asian engineer, a black lawyer, a black architect, a white general contractor, and he hires from the community. And there are specifically two black men. And when they were out in the community, it's like everything stopped. Those drug dealers who I worked with like almost 10 years ago as children, one of them like oh my god he's one of the one of the builders father who was in in federal prison uh-huh <laughs> he's now working and showing back to the community like there is restitution restitution oh, wow. there is hope so and these people who like like respected me then like look she's hiring from the community we can see us we can see ourselves that's awesome and this father like she's he's one of us and you know she's she's giving back to this community she's restoring hope where people didn't have the ability to buy them homes they didn't have the ability to restart restart their businesses because <laughs> we were just prohibited no no investment in our community and that's giving people hope and that is what i'm most proud of right now and so the store today i'm partnering with a mentor and today I learned about security, uh, about store layout, about uh, branding, and <clears throat> chefs. Do you have a name for your store yet? I don't have a name. I have to get a name. But my biggest thing is that they're building so fast. Okay. Like, this is coming out real fast. <laughs> oh, no. I haven't learned layout, store layout, like how, and I like learned it today. Some, one of my friends like, this is how you do it, Lisa. And I can, I can hook you up with so-and-so from General Mills. She's a store and a layout. This is what she does as long as you don't do, you know, like what? That's cool. It's been like really, really nice. How many square feet is your shop going to be? It's in square feet. It's almost a thousand square feet. Okay, so it's that's a pretty. It's pretty nice. Small like, little space. It's, it's small, nice, but yeah. when I was in there, I'm like, I think this is more than we have. Now. Well, I know it's more than we have right now. <laughs> like, situated in such a way that inside it's a store, but it offers you a lot more, and it offers. And I'm thinking about this approach of membership. 
approach so that you're not getting just shopping experience. You're getting healthy cooking and eating. You're getting exercise. You're getting meditation. You're getting Zoom. You're getting these farm-to-table dinners. It's giving you access to everything healthy. So the building isn't taking up the whole space on it's the taking, site? No, it's not taking up the whole space. Okay, what else is going to be on the site? On the site, uh, we have... You a said it's 10,000 square feet, and this is 1,000 square feet of the yeah, store and so, maybe storage. Right. But. So the fence that I built that was on the outside has now moved, and we have a commercial greenhouse. That will be open. And then some of our uh, displays, that will be inside and outside. Uh, so people can have the full experience. If you're not coming in the store, then you're still, you know, you shop. And then we have a meeting space and we have an eating space. So if you just want to relax, some of our senior citizens who are in isolation, if you want to come and get coffee and breakfast in the morning, or you want to grab a salad or a sandwich, we offer that too. Is this outdoor space or indoor space? It can be both. And then that's the first. I'm like, I'm trying not to, to go too much. I'm like, oh, we're going to have this, this, this. I'm like, All right, we'll, we'll pace. We'll have another yeah, interview in right. six months. Manage what going. you can at first. Don't, don't yeah. overwhelm yourself. Are you hoping to supply the store with the food that you grow in the greenhouse? The greenhouse will supply some of the food, but that won't be nearly enough. Gotcha. We're partnering with local area providers throughout the Pittsburgh region. We're partnering with uh, a lot of value-added producers who are farmers, but they they create their own sauce and whatever yeah, and whatever yeah, yeah. Uh, dairy products. So we're we're trying to incorporate small businesses. In, yeah. in every way to support small local businesses as much as we can. How do you reckon with like a lot of small local businesses in order to you know survive need to have a regular a relatively higher price point than the offerings in a grocery store? So how are you reckoning with that and with your community as far as like anybody who can't necessarily afford it? Well, we also take EBT. Okay. We do online offering uh, and then we do delivery services for our elderly. So there's no, well, we're trying to overcome as many barriers as we can. We also have a meat supplier who's a local butcher who's very excited to partner with us. So we will be providing that. Our price point, when you're a small business owner, you have a number in mind. And generally, it's not at the same level as a big brand. So we're going to try as much as we can to keep prices low. Yeah. But we have to be competitive. But we realize that my target market is both people who have means and people who don't have means. So we're trying to balance that as yeah. much as we can. Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. I think I probably mentioned this to you, but have you talked with... Uh, Diane Shank from Hazelwood. She's a little shop over there. I have many years ago. And also Ebony Evans yeah. from Farmer Girl Lab. Yeah, we're buying some of their produce. Oh, she good. took over my spot from years ago. So she she's going to be supplying like one item, and I think it's collard greens. But there might be other opportunities to, you know, support other things. I'm just trying to keep uh, create space for Was as many. Was that the site that you were trying to adopt? Yeah. the beginning of the adopt lot that was my site there were like four people through the years who have tried to adopt that and then they lots. quit because it wasn't as easy as they thought like, i tried if we you made... ask ebony you know i i figured it out 
I'm sorry. We, they I'm made, sorry. we made it look clearly. so good. Now I'm like, oh, yeah, it was so beautiful. Like, oh, no one wanted to do the labor. No one wanted to keep it up. Everybody thought it was so easy. Anyway, well, I'm, I'm sorry that I was a pain in your ass at any time in our past. You was a different type of girl. I'm like, but you were new to Pittsburgh area. And then now we love you. We thank I you mean, for all your service. You know, I'm dumb. I'm, I, I'm clueless a lot of times, but I am evolving. I'm trying. I'm trying to be the best human I can. You were following rules. You were uh, Oh, God, it sucked. I did not want to. I figured it out. I needed to know the rules before I could break them. You know, like (laughs) an artist, right? You need to know the rules before you you figure out where you can break them. Yes. And your role was don't get to know the people. You just do what we say. And that wasn't you. I dropped that pretty quick and and found myself and found my way. I'm really glad that we're friends now. And I'm so excited. Well, let me tell you this. This comes with a price. Being the first, like the food justice fund. So I advocated real hard on that. I kept their feet to the fire because that was initially for BIPOC people, uh, black, indigenous, people of color. That was originally how it was written. And they were using... ARPA fundings, the American Rescue Program. And uh, they kind of like moved away from that. And I challenged them. And, like, uh, and they said back to me, well, it's implied. I'm like, how is it implied? Well, because of the zip codes that we're, we're targeting. I'm like, oh. Just very subtly, like zoning. Oh, right, no, no, no. But like, opposite. Right. <laughs> you have to make that known. There's no implied anything. And if you're going to be an ally, you've got to step up. This is a prime reason. Like, this is how it normally works. And I'm here to keep you honest. And they kind of went back. You know, sometimes people don't have the same understanding. When you're oppressed, there's like code language. And like, oh, implied? That's a code. That's a trigger for me. Um, So being a black person and an older person, like, I've seen a lot of tricks of the trades. And then... Being a black person and an older person, sometimes it sets me up like, oh, we want Miss Lisa. She's outspoken. She'll tell her, da, 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 da. And then I get on these state things and get recognized. I'm like, she's a good old gal. Like, I'm a token. Not the good old girl. I'm a token. Like, what do you want? What am I here to do? Oh, this is a perfect segue to talk about your Harrisburg trip. Yeah, this is what I'm going to. Like, what am I here (laughs) to do? (laughs) The Farm Service Agency of the state. They're the money arm of USDA. I'm like, whoa, I've the jackpot. The money arm <laughs> loans of the USDA. And the USDA is like a welfare on steroids. They control a large, a lot of money. And, um, but it's generally rural because traditionally that's what USDA has been focused on. Black farms have been diminished, been taken for whatever reason. Yeah, less than 1%. Yeah, well, less than 1%. Abroad. And USDA is trying to reestablish a good relationship with minority farmers. So they're trying. I'm like, oh, and they're trying in the state of Pennsylvania. Let's put, let's appoint Lisa Bygonet on this committee. And I'm sitting there, what am I supposed to do? When you're talking about farm loans in the urban, why would you think uh, a farm would take a loan with you? Because urban farms don't produce enough money to rip, uh, repay a loan. We're yeah. not acres and acres. We don't have cattle. We don't have horses. We don't have soybeans. So why would I take a loan out with you? I would never take a loan out with you. 
in the city, a farm is called a foundation farm. It's foundations. One of my foundation people coined, coined that term because what we do in the city is much different from what we do in the urban. Like we address social service kind of agency uh, needs and reconciliation. Like we're more social service foundations fund us. Why would I ever take out a loan? <laughs> the yeah, and they're like, ah, oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. And so we're sitting there and she said, you know what? G.T. Thompson is going to have this panel. Like, you need to go and answer him that question. And that's the executive director of the state. And she is who I sit under. <laughs> you need to ask him in front of people. Yeah. Out loud. Say that right. out loud in front of people right. to him. Yeah. And that's what makes things real is when you say them out loud in front of people. Right. <laughs> and uh, I said it to Secretary Redding at the lunch, and he had a black gentleman, and I don't know what his title is, but he was like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Here, this is my policy person. Take your number. Take your number. Yeah, we're going to. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. And someone said to me at, at that little, oh, you know, J.T. Thompson is going to be at the panel, and he's going to be at this building. You need to ask that question over there. Like, sure, I will. I go over there, and I'm the only black person there. And I'm dressed in church lady attire with a coral colored dress and some Birkenstaff sandals. Every other person. That's church lady attire. Church lady attire. <laughs> I mean, colorful, dark skin, obviously out of place. And everybody else there has a pair of Levi jeans on and a plaid collared shirt. And women had pretty much the same. And so the panel's up here and like, okay, they gave their opening remarks. Like, does anybody have any questions? And I saw this white gentleman, farmer, he got up from where he was sitting and he went to the back where the cameras were. And I'm like, oh, that's the question of, because the woman who had the microphone, she was there and she said, oh, okay, sir, what's your question? And asked them a question. And they took like 30 minutes to ask, answer one question. I'm like, oh God. And I'm watching and I'm like, okay. Before she asked ask another question, let me just get up. The church lady got up and walked all the way back and stood at the camera. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm, I'm the next in line. I'll get this question. I'm like, oh, I'm just beaming, the church lady's here. And um, they answered the question. And then the Dean of Penn State, I don't know what board, he like, oh, is there another question? I'm like, oh, over here. I'm like, okay, there's another question over on the other side of the wall. And someone popped up and he answered a question. And the lady with the microphone was now over against the wall. And I motioned, I'm standing up, church lady standing up, and I'm motioning with my hand, I have a question, I have a question. And she looked at me, gave me eye contact, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm still standing up, and they gave and a you, you went to get in line like you're supposed to. Yeah. And this woman just waved her hand, and they went to her. Yeah. And then I'm waving my hand to tell her, look, I have a question. I have, And she not acknowledged me and shook her head. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the other side of the room. And they took about 20 minutes to answer that gentleman's question. And I'm standing up there, and I'm nodding my head like I'm really paying attention to his answer i'm really engaged and i'm smiling because i'm looking <laughs> yeah i'm looking right at them like yeah okay yeah call me now I'm like i'm next and then like oh who has another question 
Do you not see my big church lady self <laughs> at the camera? You're looking right at I me. <laughs> and they said, oh, there's a question in the back. And here she comes. I'm like, yeah, it's finally my turn. The gentleman right behind me, she handed the mic over my head to him. And then my executive director and one of my co-committees, I could see them get up because they was in the first row and they <laughs> got up and they start standing on the wall. And I'm sitting there like, and then at that point I sat down in the chair, but I'm still at the camera. I'm still the first person to ask the next question. The next person right next to me. Oh, he has a question right next to me. And I turned and I looked and all the reporters were on my right. And I said, did you see what she's doing? Did you just see? She said, yeah, we see. I, did you see me? Am I invisible? Yeah. No, I said, did you, did you see what she just did? And I, yeah, we all see. I'm like, what station or what's what's there? Like, she said, station such such such. But I caught, and I'm an affiliate of NPR. <laughs> oh. And so this went on for maybe about another 30 minutes, what? and I, I just start crying, and I'm like, the shoulders were bouncing, crying like an ugly cry because it was very apparent that they were not going to ask me a question. Church and lady, the, the only, only black, black woman in the entire room, the only black person. And I'm crying and I'm crying. And the NPR writer, she said, please, can, can I give you my handkerchief? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. And then I'm like, I'm sitting here looking like a fool, crying. And everybody on the side of me, behind me, they didn't seem to care. And I'm like, oh. So I got up and I passed a few of Pittsburgh people. And they're like, Lisa, how you doing? You asked, what you mean how I'm doing? You see me crying, like you didn't like speak up. And I walked to the side of the room where my executive director, she's watching all this. I'm like, Lisa, are you okay? No to hell I'm not. I'm like, am I a fool sitting up here? I'm the only black person and I'm crying. And I kind of made a scene and I walked out the room like, take me back to the hotel. Why the hell do you have me here? Why, what am I doing here? For what? And um, she stayed and she, one of my, committee members brought me and she's like Lisa I'm so sorry Lisa I'm so sorry there's not a sorry empathy a word a pat a hug there's nothing you can do when you're humiliated on that level nothing yeah. there is no kind word that can take that dagger out of your heart there's just nothing you can say and I just went back to my hotel and I got a, a drink and I sat there and I was hurting that was very humiliating to me. Very humiliating. And then my executive was like, Lisa, I'm on my way back. I'm like, who the hell care? Who? What the hell did you set me up for? And then I got a call from JT Thompson's office. And I didn't take that call. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And she left a message. This is JT Thompson's office. I'm the secretary. I understand there was a miscommunication. And if you'd like to talk to JT Thomas, he can arrange to meet you today or at another time and, and get your question. And I didn't leave a message. And I like, uh, and my executive director, she came and she told me that she confronted him and that, yes, she saw it was very obvious. It was very rude. And she like, Lisa, I'm so sorry. Again, there's nothing anybody can tell you when you're humiliated yeah. at that point. 
Like, there is no consolation. Like, I mean, like, I'm, I'm surprised that people didn't start, like, in the crowd, be like, answer that lady's question. Take that lady's question. Well, that's, like, so the NPR writer, she said, do you want me to get her, do you want me to get her attention? Like, no, not at this point. She can keep that damn microphone and stick it where to, <laughs> I'd have her on the ground pounding her head in the cement. And then the next day... I haven't seen this side of you, Lisa. Oh, <laughs> it hurts. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fucked up. It hurts. And then the next day, i like, um, let me think about this. Like, how can I use... <laughs> I said to this, like, how do I use this to my benefit? And I'm thinking, like, when I get back to Pittsburgh, I'm calling NPR because they've done enough stories on me and all these oh, yeah. black farmers. And they ran a series and then they ran it again, twice. And I'm like, let me just call. And I called the office, no one answered. I'm like, good, because I really wouldn't, you know, I would have been still too irate to really get what I was after. And I guess my phone registered, because now he knows my phone, because his secretary, he himself called me. Who is this? JT Thompson. Oh, JT Thompson, okay. And again, I didn't take the call. Like, I'm, again, I'm not in the mood to take any, I'm not in the mood to talk to, but I didn't know it was him. I'm not in the mood to talk to him. Oh, he left a message. This is JT Thompson. And I understand that you wanted to ask me a question. I, by gone, I want to talk to you. This is my personal cell phone. If you're not guilty, why would you give me <laughs> your yeah. personal phone call? If it wasn't such urgency, I could keep continuing to call your secretary. So, yeah, that's how it ended. So the whole, there was a panel of people that were talking and they were all white folks too? And I, I just felt like less than a human. And we've gone back like 60 years and black farmers are stealing their farms and they're tied up and they're not worthy. They can't get a loan. They foreclose. And I was just, a, you know, one of them. And we're not talking in their speech. They're talking rural, rural, rural. And my question was, you're talking rural. You're not talking a language that's exclusive to me. You're talking rural. Vilsack just had this great announcement of funding about urban environment. Why are we not saying urban? What are you offering to me? Yeah. I'm here, I'm not rural. There's a gap for sure, missing piece. But it was rural and you are rural and you're the good old boy club and we're gonna support you and keep all these little welfare payments coming because you defaulted on your loan and here we have the system where we'll pay this monthly to you, true, to help you come out of default. I'm like, black people, or black people, urban people, we can't get funding like this and this was meant to be a reparation for black farmers. We can't get this, we're in the urban. There's no reason why I would take out a loan. So the benefit you're trying to help people is not helping. So you've thought about this a lot. What would you like to see happen? Well, I was gonna quit. I, you know, you hurt my feelings for the last time. Like, what the hell, do you, I'm nothing but a token. You just sat me up here and wanna take pictures with a black face and I'm black, black, blacker than black and give the impression that you're progressive, that you're really doing something new and exciting. And look, we have a black face here, church woman, church lady black face. In the meantime, they did what they always do and they ignored the black person in the room. Yeah, Great. They did not give me space. And I was gonna quit because you hurt my feelings. And I mean, they hurt them really bad. I, I cried, I mean, I cried hot tears and it went down deep. 
But then I thought, you know, this is nothing compared to what people in the 60s, civil rights had to go through. This is nothing where my great-grandmother had a farm. This is nothing she had to go through. You better swallow your pride or swallow that hate and use it for a benefit. But and we, make, we should be so much past that by we now. We should be, but we're not. And if they don't want to give you room at the table, bring your own damn chair. That's surely Chisholm. <laughs> like, I, those are my heroines. And I'm thinking, stand on the table. Stand on the stand table. Stand on the chair. I'm here, and I'm going to cry loud and spare not. Yeah. So, like, this is what, a lot of times, what happens. Someone hurts your feelings, humiliates you in the biggest way possible to make you quit. I've had it with trying to start the store. Here, we're at all these expenses to you, or you can ask for appeal. Like, no, we're not going to the appeal process. We're keeping this straight right here where people can come in and change things. No, and I had to pay a significant amount of money to open my store because of nonsense ruling with the sprinkler system, which cost me 40, 50,000 more than necessary. Right. I had to pay that price just because they wanted me to quit. No, we'll, we'll hit her with an extra. You have to jump through this hoop. Like, um, whatever it takes. I'm not quitting. So this is another opportunity. You've hurt my feelings really bad. I should quit, but no, I'm not quitting. You're gonna see me at every turn, just to annoy you, just to keep your feet to the fire. Yeah. So what is that for the truck? Pennsylvania Farm Service Agency. That's the money arm of the USDA. That's where they give loans out and credit to farmers and uh, subsidies to farmers who are growing certain crops. Yeah. And you've received money from them before, or no? No, I haven't. You haven't gotten any grants? Well, you got grants from, from the USDA. USDA. Yeah. But that was the national. That, that was not a farm service agency. And when was this that this happened? Two weeks ago. Oh, shit. Was it two weeks ago? Maybe last week. So fresh, though. Yeah, it's still fresh. But sometimes, you know, when it's fresh, it's better. Because after you get over the hate, and I was feeling like you were going to die. Like, God crush them or, you know, give them their just reward. When you get past that and you get past the pain, however long that might take, it might take a while. But then you get a new enlightenment, like, how can I be used for good? Because all that happened for a reason. It was just not random. It happened yeah. for a reason. So it will either destroy you or make you stronger. Shelly. No, I, <laughs> I, yeah, no, I totally, I hear you. It I will you. make you stronger. <laughs> yeah, but it's not fun going through it's it. It's not fun. It's really not fun. So you're still using your culinary degree? I don't because my son and I, we have sacrificed and we lived in an RV for over a year. I have very limited space, but I do like outside cooking. Oh, yeah. uh, and I have outside, I have all kind of equipment. So every now and then we'll do, uh, I have this burner and I have this big pot. It's, I call it my African pot and I can cook a large amount of food, but it's just my, my son and I. And I have an outdoor smoker, um, which I'll use occasionally, but it's just my son and I. Yeah. Like, I can't be cooking all this for me and him. And I have a tiny refrigerator, so I can only store so much. But we have been enjoying takeout food and <laughs> restaurant. But you only can eat so much takeout. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what are your favorite places? 
Aladdin. I like that uh, Mediterranean diet. I love beans and rice. Love it. I love tasting new spices and types of food that I wouldn't normally eat. Fast food, like that's no. McDonald's, no. Did you ever go to Shadow Bene? Yeah, I went there. I wasn't really... Oh, I love their food. Really? Okay, yeah, I, I do. I mean, I had something that was kind of good, but I needed something a little more. The sorrel tea is really delicious. Yeah, I had I that. Know, that was yeah, good. Yeah, it's great. I had a rice yeah. bowl or something. I love hummus. Oh, hummus is my good friend. Nice. I love pesto. I love that, too. So I'm, I'm trying to eat, or not trying, but I'm alert now to clean eating. Very little processing. I've never liked trendy things. And the term clean eating is a very trendy term. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, it means eating real food. <laughs> it does. Whole food. Which is unprocessed yeah. food. Yeah. Michael Pollan wrote a book years ago that was something about eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And that's kind of the definition of clean eating. Yeah. 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 But the whole clean eating kind of, it also infers that other people, people that can't do that are dirty and there's, yeah, that's a real negative oh, connotation. So yeah. I don't know. And plus it's a trendy thing. So I just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> such well, a red okay. light, like when I say from... clean, I'm generally saying mm -hmm. not fried. Not yeah, fast gotcha. food, not floured and battered and fried. Um, not there is a place for, I'm just saying, there's a place for that. Yeah, I mean, I do it still, but I, I really am mindful now. Like, no, what you good, put yeah. in your, and once you get older, you really become real mindful because your, your, your days and years are numbered. And you have to take good care of your body if you want it to take care of you. So you eat that junk food if you want, but you're gonna clog your arteries up. And when you get old, you hit 50, and that's when your body starts telling you things that you have to be more aware of. It's talking. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> I'm so glad that you were able to do this interview with me today. I wanna catch up with you again after your store opens. Oh, you have to. You're gonna have a grand opening. We're having a fundraiser on November 18th, and that committee who's helping me are a dynamic group of people, and they want to see me get over the finish line, like get Miss Raymond over, get Miss Lisa over the finish line, so uh, everything can be paid, and there's nothing holding over my head because they appreciate the effort of bringing a grocery store in a food desert and I'm the first so it's very humbling to get a group of people who are looking after my well-being as well as the community so I'm really humbled again for that I'm just appreciative for this opportunity well thanks Lisa. I'm glad to call you my friend I'm glad to call you a farmer oh Shelly thank you Thanks for listening.